Welcome to Careers and Mental Health Conversations. This is the podcast where we discuss career counselling, career guidance, mental health awareness and mental health training in the workplace. With your hosts, Patrick, Sally, Tina and Amy. Good morning everyone. It's Sally from Careers and Mental Health Conversations. Today I'm delighted to welcome Tim Wormsley from Benchon. Tim is the CEO and the founder, and we're going to talk to him about the future of the working world. Thanks for joining us, Tim. Hey, thanks, Sally. Thanks for having me on. So, Tim, let's get started with you telling us a little bit about yourself and about Benchon. Sure. I, I, I guess I'll give you the, the elevator pitch for Benchon. So, we're an Australian first startup that is solving employee underutilization in contract-based industries. So a lot of our industries in Australia are becoming more contract-based because of the risk and the cost to businesses. So we've developed a platform that allows companies to manage the peaks and troughs of their business cycle. So um, by matching their underutilized staff who are on the bench in between contracts, and we match them to short-term contracts with other companies who are looking for specialist support or surge support for their business. So in that way, businesses that are in troughs with not enough work on, they can get paid contracts for their staff and keep their staff employed. And in the peaks, when you've got too much work on, you can access higher quality professionals that are hidden inside Australia's best companies to support you rather than having to just rely on recruitment um, to fill those slots. So how's that going for you so far? Really well, really well. It is a, it is a new way of, of managing your talent uh, and managing the capability within your business. So there is a high education part to what we do to educate companies that this is a valid way of doing business and, um, you know, it might be slightly different to what they normally do, but it's still based on the way companies subcontract now. We're just doing it in a far more efficient and broader sense than people are used to. So, no, it's, it's, it's capturing the imagination quite well in industry. We've got over 350 corporate clients ranging from global enterprises and national brands right down to micro consulting companies. Um, and we've also now processed over $60 million worth of contracts across 10 industries. So uh, the industries we operate in are defense, IT, mining, oil and gas, construction, education, telecommunications, marketing, HR, um, just to name a few. They're, those are all very contract-based industries. And the, and the reality of those industries are that contracts get cancelled or they get delayed or the contracts simply don't line up, creating those expensive gaps where you've got those valuable employees sitting on the bench. So while this has always been seen as a common business issue, um, they've just seen it as something that they had to manage, whereas now we're saying you, you don't have to manage it. We can solve it for you to allow your company to grow sustainably. Wow, that's a great achievement. Thank you. How did you come up with this concept? Right, well, um, I'm actually a retired Army major. When I was in the Army, I did a couple of master's degrees and moved into defence project management. So I was managing a $2 billion project to replace the Army's air defence systems. And being in that position, obviously, you talk to a lot of industry because industry are very interested in a $2 billion program. Um, so I, I got quite a good understanding of how industry operated. I got quite a good understanding of, of government agencies and how they operate because that's where the majority of the contracts come from. And so I, I use that as my exit strategy. So uh, I left defense, moved into defense industry, and I was working for a great um, small business uh, that was a U.S. aerospace engineering firm. 
that were doing some work now in, in Australia. So I was their director of strategy and business development um, for Australia, uh, which was great. But in a sense, it was a small business. Uh, and that's where I experienced the peaks and troughs. And there was one instance where I was working with a company that had built up a, an engineering team of three engineers. Now, engineers are, are quite expensive in terms of salary. They trained them for a couple of years. They um, made them like they trained them for a very niche requirement for the Commonwealth. Uh, and they won that contract. Now, it was going to be a 10 year contract. They won it. At the end of the first year, the Commonwealth had a, a budgetary issue. So they said, oh, look, we're just going to have to delay this next contract by two months. That was enough for that small business to say, well, we can't afford to keep, you know, $380,000 engineers sitting on the bench for two months. We're going to have to put them on unpaid leave. And the thing about unpaid leave, I mean, every one of those employees had mortgages and kids and they turned around and said, well, we can't just not get paid for two months. We... So they went and got new jobs. Six weeks later, the Commonwealth came back and said, we're ready to start the contract. And the company had to say, well, I don't have the people now because of that gap. So not only did the company lose a 10-year Commonwealth contract, they lost three valuable staff. Three valuable staff lost their jobs and their livelihood and had to get new ones. And then the project was delayed by 18 months while they had to find new people to do it. It was a lose-lose situation for everyone involved. And um, I was talking to a, a mentor of mine in industry and I said, how is it possible that we found ourselves, you know, that this situation happened. And he said, well, that's just the way it is. You know, we try to survive long enough through the troughs to get back to the peaks and then hope that the peaks are big enough to get us through the next trough. So that none of that sat well with me. And then um, so I was trying to think about how we could get around that. And then I was sitting in a large enterprises sourcing department and I saw one of their sourcing managers slam the phone down in frustration saying, the bloody government, you know, they want three systems engineers this morning for something they knew about three months ago. He goes, I don't just have a bench of high quality professionals sitting here just to respond to their whims. And I went, right. Ah, there was a light bulb moment. There was a light bulb moment. I said, I know where they are. They're underutilized in all of these companies across the country, but no one can see them. No one knows where to find them. So we've created, I guess, Australia's bench where we've created the largest untapped talent pool in the country, which we call the happily employed, because normally people are only looking at job seekers to fill these roles. But there are underutilized people out there that are happy working for the company they work for. They're happy doing what they're doing. They're just not being utilized right now. Now, people listening and say, wow, but I could never do something like that. Right. What would you say to them? What's your, what's your secret to thinking this out and being brave enough to have a go at it because it could have failed? Mm. What, what do you think you have that, that drove you to do that? I ask myself this a lot because um, I really enjoyed working for the company that I was working at. I was getting paid a really good salary. I had flexible work arrangements. I worked from home on the Gold Coast and I just flew wherever I needed to for work. Like there was nothing about my job that was saying to me, I need to get out of this. I was, I was living a really good life. It came down to the fact that when I had the idea, it was that good that I knew I'd never forgive myself if I didn't do it, you know? And not only that, I knew the macro benefits that it would have not only to other companies and people in their careers, and but also to the Australian economy as a whole. Because what this process does is it helps create more stable full-time work in the economy. 
um, which is something we desperately need if you've been following any of the jobs mm, posts sure. and everything else. Yes. So I knew not only in myself that I had to have a go at this because I didn't in 10 years want to be going, oh, I could have been someone completely different or I could have had much more of an impact. You know, I had, I, I just had to do it. So there was a lot of conversations with my wife about it. Um, but we went all in, we sold our house, we both quit our jobs. Um, it was super scary in the first year, but we had full belief in what we were doing and what this was going to achieve. Uh, and that kept us going through the hard times. Well, it sounds like you're certainly disrupting the market out there, Yeah. which leads me into my next question. We all know that the world of the workforce is changing mm. and, and obviously your business is doing well because of the change and because of the fact that more and more people are going to be contracting. Full-time pl- employment is going down. We've seen a rise in ABN numbers, which mm-hmm. indicates people are working under an ABN number. What a lot of my clients are fearful about this. So yeah. Here at Career Development Centre, we're helping people develop their careers into stable and something they love doing. What would you tell them about the future of work? How can they prepare? Yeah, I I absolutely love um, the future of work. I find I find it a fascinating topic. And the one thing that I really get angry about is those fear mongers out there when they talk about the future of work. They drum up all the fears that people have. You know, robots are taking all of our jobs. The full-time job is dead. Like they, they're suggesting that all of us will be running around as independent freelancers just, you know, waiting for that app on our phone to buzz so that we know that we have to go and do a task. I mean, it's ridiculous. None of that lines up with anything that we know. You know, human beings are not a one-size-fits-all. So why would there be any extreme future of work that everyone has to do the same thing? It's not going to be that. You know, every single massive change we've had in human history, we've seen the pendulum swing so far to the extreme and everyone's fearful and then it settles back into the middle. You know, and that's what the future of work will be. The future of work is an exciting balance of every different type of work where people will be able to work based on their own circumstances. You know, you will have... Uh, the, the good example I use is engineers. You know, when an engineer does a, an engineering degree... By the time they've finished that engineering degree, it's almost obsolete, you know. So they're not in a position to then go out and be an independent freelancer being being an engineer. Engineers are brought up through a framework of training and mentoring and process inside a company that teaches them the skill sets they need to become a really good engineer. So in that sense, they, they that model wouldn't suit them being a freelancer. They need a full-time stable job that they can be trained through. You know, there are other people who can, you know, that are stay-at-home parents that can use gig work on the side to, to boost their income. You've got some people who use the gig work as their full-time career, you know, that they're full-time Uber drivers or something. You've got people that need casual work uh, or part-time work or a combination of, the, of all the different types. That's what the future of work is going to be. Like, imagine being able to work however you choose, whatever suits your circumstances best. I mean, isn't that an exciting future? Not something to be fearful about. Like, I know that if I'm having a hard month, I can go and do some extra gig work on the side to boost my pay. You know, I know that if I lose my full-time job, I should be able to consult as a freelancer while I'm waiting for that next career. You know, there are, to me, that type of flexibility and agility is, is an exciting future, not one we should be worried about. 
Yeah, so when those people are hearing all their, that fear that's, that's rampant at the moment, mm. they're buying into it. What recommendations would you give them to not not overcome that fear but to know that it's not reality? How can they go out there and find out more information about all these things? Yeah, um, I mean... Continual self-education is now a theme of the future of work and what people need to be looking at. And I've, I've said this uh, before where, you know, doctors for decades, it's been part of their career that they have to maintain, you know, up with the latest trends and the latest medicine. So they spend all their spare time going through journals and attending conferences to make sure they are up to date with all of the massive changes in medicine because it was constantly evolving. That now just represents the rest of our industries. People now need to factor in time to, to research the latest digital platforms and the latest digital developments and how that's going to affect their career and how that's going to affect their industry. Um, they need to be continually educating themselves and, and doing night courses or, you know, online. You can do anything nowadays. You can, try, you can do a course while you're on your train to work. You know, you, you need to be continually reading articles and, um, you know, and if you do spot a, a training downfall, you need to then fix it. And there are, there are more than enough ways that you can do that. I mean, you can do a degree for free online right now from Harvard. You just have to then pay if you want the piece of paper which says that you did it. But you've got those skills. You've got that education behind you. So the way people can educate themselves on this and, and remove that fear is to start doing that, to start remaining up to date with trends and then finding your place in that environment. and But it's also the fear that I haven't studied for 10 years, I can't do this, that mm. a lot of my clients have that fear that they actually can't. So it's about dipping their toes in the water, isn't it, and, and having one success and ticking yeah. that off and being curious, I guess. Yeah, look, change is hard. That's why I think the last uh, stats I saw was 87% of people don't like change. You know, yep, change is hard right. because change takes you out of your comfort zone. And anytime you're out of your comfort zone, it sucks, you know, and you feel uncomfortable. But the only way to improve yourself and to get to where you want to be is to continually push that those boundaries and, and do things that make you uncomfortable. You know, in six months' time, you'll turn around and go, why was I worried about that? I now do that standing on my head. You need to be constantly pushing those boundaries. If you don't, you'll be left behind. Yeah, and that's uh, that brings back the fear factor. Right. Yeah. So let's let's look at an article I read um, the other day on, on Forbes and it said, the article said that uh, it was a survey done that an overwhelmingly um, lot of our great leaders agree that talent can make a different impact on their business and their world and the whole world. Mm but a, a very small percentage are professionally developing their staff. I've got a bit of a bugbear. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's actually so many points in that. I mean, yes, talent is really important. I think people, people often use that as a throwaway. They want their employees to know that they're important to them. But then when times are tough, the first thing they do is cut employees. Now, your employees are your capability. They're your corporate knowledge. You know, they, they are what makes your business. So why are you cutting the most important thing in your business? And it's because that's the way it's always been done. 
firstly, to me, anytime says that's the way it's all, anyone says that's why it's always been done. That's a massive red flag. Yeah, it is with me too. You know, and <laughs> yeah. that, that's actually how I started the business. You know, when when he's like, "Oh, that's just the way it is," and I'm like, "Well, you know what? I don't think it should be." Um, so that that first, um, but particularly now, businesses need to be aware of the effect of millennials and the new generations coming through. Those those workers don't have the same desires and needs as the previous generations. They want to be working for a company that they feel like they're adding value, that they're helping achieve a greater purpose, right? So businesses now need to have a, a sense of purpose in what they're doing and their employees then buy into that. that. That generates firstly the interest in your company from those workers. But secondly, you know, workers these days are not just pigeonholed into one job. You know, they've got, they've got multiple skill sets, multiple qualifications, multiple interests in different areas. So any company that just goes, I've hired a project manager, they are a project manager and that's it. They're, they're cutting themselves short. You've got skills under utilization where you've got that employee sitting there but going, yeah, I'm a project manager, but I'm also an engineer. And oh, by the way, I'm also a software developer because that, I do that as my side hustle. Utilize people for everything that they are, not as a position title. That's where the future is going, is that it's, it's, your business is now staffed by a skills matrix. And if you use it that way, you'll maximize your skills utilization. You will hire complementary skill sets into your team and your team will feel much more valued and feel like they're contributing because they're using all of their skill sets. They're doing different things at different days and, you know, whereas before when it was like, I need a project manager, I've hired a project manager, that's their box and I'm just going to leave them there, That that's not going to fly. And, and I, I absolutely agree 100% with what you've said. But unfortunately, what I see is until the pain hits these companies, until they realise that they've just lost 10 staff in the last month, mm. nothing gets done about it. How are we going to get the word out Proactive, not reactive. Millennials want a, a lifestyle, not just a job. They want to come to work. They want to love it. Good on them. Mm. They're not going to stay in a situation where we're not. they're not being developed. Mm. But how do we educate our leaders that, that this is necessary? We must educate the millennials. They're going to be running the country for us in a few years. Like, right. I struggle with wondering how we get the importance of this out there to our leaders. I agree. It, it, and there's no simple answer here. I mean, I struggle with it with my business. You know, the, the way that we set up our commercial arrangement is that this is a commitment-free, risk-free way to, to source people and to get your people out there, yet I still come up against companies going, oh, that's not for us. And it's like, well, there's, there's, no, there's nothing here that should be holding you back. Like, give it a try see what works and what doesn't but people become very set in their ways and human beings are the way that we operate is we always default to a default setting you know to, to make life easier we're so busy we've got so much on we find a default setting and we stick to it and that's we don't change that think about when you go to a cafe there's at least 35 40 different combinations of coffee that you could have every day with different tastes and flavors and yet when I go to a coffee shop, the first thing, I'll have a flat white because that's my default setting. I know it's easy. I've saved myself the, you know, cognitive uh, issue of having to think through this simple decision. 
I'm going with my default. And that's how business owners operate. They have a default setting. So how do you break people out of that default setting to, to change and evolve? And this is why there's been so much talk about innovation in, in, our, in our businesses and the need for it. Unfortunately, a lot of people use it just as a, a throwaway line yeah. or it's just a buzzword. You know, they don't actually implement it. And you can see that with some of the larger companies that now have innovation departments and you go in there and you go, okay, how are you, how are you doing innovation? And, oh, we have a hackathon every six months. Well, okay, that's one part of it. But how have you set your organization up to, to utilize innovation? That, that's about, in, you know, culture in your business where people feel like they can go outside the square to, to come up with new ways of doing things empowering those people to try things. You know, I've had that before too, where the head of a company goes, you know what, this is something innovative we want to use. So then they pass it down to their lower level people to implement it. But those people are process driven. You know, they've been set processes by the headquarters that they have to follow. Those processes don't enable innovation, they stifle it. So it doesn't matter what the leader says. If your culture and processes don't empower innovation, then it's never going to work. So there is, there is a shift in industry and I'm seeing it. People are, people are becoming more open to new ways of working and new ways of, of employing different ideas. Uh, it's just not ubiquitous across everyone. It's, it's some people are doing it well, some people aren't. And, 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 and like in, in any sort of capitalist society, some will succeed at it and therefore succeed in business and others will lag behind and won't. And there does need to be a big message out there to to all of our leaders um, in companies that working with five generations or four generations, people have different ways of doing things. Mm. But the empowerment model, the the open and transparent culture, the not hiding things, the sharing with your staff, to me it's not rocket science. Mm. Yet more and more I still see... People are sh afraid of that, afraid, well, what if I allow my employees to work from home now and then will they be working? Or what if I allow them to have a voice? Might they argue with me? And so this really does come down to our leaders getting into education. Yes. As opposed to just training our staff. But still, I don't feel there needs to be a big shift and I still feel it's got a long way to go. What are your thoughts on that? I, I certainly do think there's a long way to go. Um, if you look at the, the federal government's innovation program that came out, you know, that was all, in my opinion, hot air. Like it was, we're going to throw some money at some grants. We're going to tell everyone that this is now on our agenda. But that didn't filter through the different departments in federal government. It didn't filter down to the state governments. It Like it it's just a buzzword, you know. So leaders now in organisations need to look at their role as empowering their organisation rather than, you know, micromanaging their organisation. We set processes in place to reduce the problems and re reduce uh, issues that come up from people doing random things. What I've seen work is um, what they call the sandpit where you create a sandpit in your organization with, with set boundaries, but within those boundaries, you can break process. You can try new things. So you've limited the risk to your business by having that, I guess, the sandbox where they can't go outside of that. You know that they're operating in there. You've got someone watching that and assessing those points, which, which allows 
employees to try new things, to implement new platforms and implement new processes. If it breaks, it's within a very contained, self-contained so area. So there's no risk. So the risk is very, very low. Yeah. You know, um, and I mean, companies have been doing pilot programs to try out these new things for, for years, and we've got a few with um, some quite big corporates. In those pilot programs that you just set the, the, the boundaries, all right, we're going to test you in this small area first, you know, which is completely against the way that we do business, but we're just going to put you in the side here, test you out there, make sure that we understand the risks before we implement you organization-wide. I mean, that's that's worked before. Like, let's let's just implement this now. Like, have have constant sandboxes in each department in your organization and empower your staff to go, look, play around in there. Find something that's going to save you time or save us money or improve the quality of your product. Which automatically shifts the culture. It does. Because they feel valued. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I find is this is not rocket science. To treat people well, to allow their creativity into the workplace, to, you know, educate them, it's not rocket science. Mm. But we still have a lot of work to get this message out there. Look at the startup industry uh, or the startup ecosystem, I guess, as a microcosm of this. You know, there are so many entrepreneurs now trying new businesses because they recognize the power in the ability for someone to take an idea to solve a problem and then turn it into a commercial business. So we're switching from a transaction-based economy, which is can we make money, to a problem-solving economy where all of the collective heads or you know within within our society can go actually I've got a good idea I'm going to give it a go a lot fail that's fine but we if if society was had become a problem solving society rather than a transaction society it means that we will constantly be evolving and, and life will become better in all facets as well as keeping people engaged and allowing them to have a try and and use all of their skill sets i mean that to me is such a powerful movement and I, you know, as a startup founder, I'm a little biased, but I actually think that, you know, the startup ecosystem is something that is going to completely revolutionize our economy and the way that we work because of that very reason where it's constant new ideas, we're trying new things. Big, bureaucratic, slow to move corporates will get outpaced by that agility, by that fresh thinking, by... You know, uh, a small company, once they develop a technology system, can now affect so such a big market that, that small businesses now can compete on the same level as those big corporates. You're obviously as passionate about it as I am, too. Yeah. You've obviously done a really good job starting your business. I just want to touch back on the leadership thing mm. for a moment. And I probably should not bring politics into this discussion, but because <laughs> you're as passionate as me, I watch our leaders of this country. I watch them debating and everything, and I am quite disturbed about the messages they're sending to our younger generation in the way they communicate, the way they bully, the way they're problem-focused, not solution-focused, mm. pointing of fingers... How can we make a shift with this? Like because yeah. they're they're teaching my grandchildren to communicate in a terrible way, and yet they're on the television. They are the leaders, and our kids are seeing this and going, "That's okay." 
that's going to mm. come into the workforce. Like that's impacting on our whole country. What do we do about that, Tim? Come on, <laughs> you must have some ideas. I do. I mean, <laughs> I try not to talk about politics. Yeah, but, me too, um, but it's, it's a disturbing fact yeah. that we, we should be sending out good messages. I agree. Look, in my humble opinion, I think um, the democracy – D- democracy is failing us in its current form. Um, you know, l- look at what's happening in America. You know, it's there's there's horrible things happening here. What I think's happened is is that our leaders have lost their way or their focus. You know, when you start a business, you focus on your why. Why are you doing what you're doing? And and I just talked about there about um, you know the millennials are looking for value and impact. That's what that's the way businesses are going. That's what we need our government to do. Why is our government there? You know, what it, what is it trying to achieve for our country? You know, at the moment, it seems like politicians believe their why is to get elected. It yeah. shouldn't be. Yeah. Their why should be to make Australia amazing. And I, I purposefully didn't say make Australia great again because... <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> we don't want any listeners phoning no, no. in. <laughs> no, 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 certainly not. Um, but uh, th- their purpose should be to make our country amazing for our for our people you know and 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 allow us to compete on a world stage and to be an influential player in the world and and to ensure that no australian is left behind and that every every everyone in australia is given all the opportunities they could have um that should be their why forget if you get elected you know and and i think a lot of those problems that you just discussed about the infighting and the lack of focus on workable policies and I mean, no one is inspired by our politicians anymore. Inspiration is gone. We've now devolved down to let's choose the person who's going to be the least worst, you know? Yeah, you're right, yeah. Isn't that that right? I mean, anyone who's gone to an election doesn't go, oh, this is a truly inspiring person. I think they're going to be amazing for us. They look at them and go, okay, this one's going to be horrible, horrible. This one's probably the least horrible. I'm going to vote for them. That's a horrible way to look at our politics. Let's let's create if we go back to focusing on our why and everything every decision we make has to move us one step closer to our why and our goals, then all of a sudden inspiration will follow. People will get behind a movement. They will get behind that ins- you know that inspiring leader and their messaging and we'll actually achieve more as a country. Yeah. And, and people are smart. People have got access to all sorts of education. Mm. You know, they're not they're not going to tolerate this thing. But you know, it's a big call out to to our um, politicians to just adjust the way they communicate. It's not that hard, is mm. it? Yeah. I'd like to see. Yeah, I'd like to see some of the lessons that people are learning now about business and 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 how we get our message across. I mean, if you've ever pitched for investment as a startup, you know that you firstly need to truly understand your problem and why you're doing what you do. And then how? what's the solution? Now, if people fully understand the problems, they then can buy into the solution. And and that is critical. What, what are the problems here? And all I seem to hear is the problems and, and no one's actually working on any really good solutions. Yeah, that's my beef too. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to ask you one final question. You're obviously a very successful businessman, and I note that you have huge passion, which to me I think 
makes such a difference in a, in starting a successful business because you do know your why mm. and you're so passionate and you can know it make a difference. There are many, many people that would say, Tim, can you mentor me? So because you can't mentor them all, you're so busy, what message would you like to send to our um, grade 12s and graduates? What would you like to tell them? What do you know now? that you wish you'd known then that would help these young people? Because I have a passion for these kids that we have one or two ways to go. It's go to vocational education or it's go to uni. And they have to decide, and guess what? They have to decide now because Mm. I've got a lot of them coming to me. Mm. Where's that middle road? And what, what can you say to them to take this... Fear, oh, I have to decide my uni course. Oh, I have to decide if I want to be an apprentice. What a load of rubbish. Yeah. Um, There's two things I would say. The first one is there is no set pathway that everyone is going to follow. You know, uh, our younger generations are very big on gaming and and they've got these big multi-world games out there now where you can go and do a bit of this and you can go and meet people over here and you make the game what you want. Life is a game. You know, make it what you want. You, there's, there's no, you're not pigeonholed into anything. Let, let's look at my career. I left school with very, very, very good marks. I then became a bartender. And much to my parents' horror, <laughs> um, I was going to manage bars for the rest of my life. Uh, they, they, I mean, apart from the fact they worked two jobs to put me through private education and all the rest, that's what I was going to be doing. Then I ended up joining the army. And I spent 14 years in the army. I went tours to Afghanistan and Iraq and I, I, I retired as a major. Then I was, you know, working for, for a US based company in defense industry, which I never would have thought. And now I've started my own business. I couldn't have told you that I was going to do that when I was 18. So why are you freaking out? Do what you love. I mean, I recommend to everyone that I see coming out of school, take a gap year, go travel, yeah, love it. learn who you are, experience life. And once you experience life, you will find things that you're passionate about and that you love doing. I mean, isn't, isn't that what life's about? Go out and learn, experience, and then go, actually, I think I could do that as a job. Or, and, and it doesn't need to be for the rest of your life. It can be for just as, much, as long as you enjoy it. Okay. Now, you and I know this. We're business owners. Mm. Why are we still in our school system not bringing this thought process in? What do I need to do? to get that thought process through to our education system because I'm the person here in the Career Development Centre that sees these kids highly stressed and strung out Mm. because they have to choose now. And I go, just what you said, go and have a gap year. Oh, but we can't because none of that's not the way we've done it. How do we get this into our education system? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not an education expert, but I I feel like the same thing's happening to the education sector as it's happening to commercial businesses, yeah. is that they get very set in their default settings. Schools see that their purpose is to educate students to such a point that they can get into a the, the appropriate degree and get the career they want. You know, yeah. it's not about cr- educating kids on on everything and and just you know in, in 
making education an enjoyable experience. Yeah. It's about, okay, we've got NAPLAN. We need, you need to be at a certain level because that says that what, our, you know, the level that our school's at. You've then got, you know, they go through year 12. Okay. What degree are you doing? Which university are you going to? You know, oh, I don't know what I want to do. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I left high school. I went and did a business communications degree. And I spent all my time in the bar because I wasn't inspired by it, you know. Yeah. Then I went traveling It worked it out. So, you know, it, it shouldn't – go back to the why. Why do schools exist? Is uh, Do schools exist to get kids into university degrees? Because, I mean, there's an argument out there at the moment that university degrees are no longer as relevant as they used to be. No, 40% no. of our uni students don't get jobs in the first year. Right. Um, and I know of some insanely successful people who've never had a degree, ever. You know, um, I, I never, I never got a degree until I did my two masters, and that was I got my two masters degrees when I was in my early thirties. I got mine when I was forty-five. Right. <laughs> you know, so what, there's no one size fits all. I, I think that's been a theme through our conversation. Like, there's no one size fits all. So what, what is your journey going to be like? And don't don't put too much stock in it. Things change. And and you just made a very valid point, and I think the threat theme's gone through our podcast today because every individual is unique and so until they know themselves and know what they're made up of and what they're about how can they suddenly choose a career Mm. that that supposedly they're going to be in for so long well we know they're not now but I guess the message today and part of your your just listening to you is you've tried different things you've stretched out of the comfort zone you believe in what you're doing you're passionate about what you're doing that can be anything mm. it can be selling pot plants if you love what you're doing and right. you you want to do it so i guess our messages are equal in that um explore exactly yeah and kids uh, to explore and not be afraid and that comes back to my second point and it's the quote i the steve jobs quote i love the most is the day you realize that everything you see around you was created by no one smarter than you it'll change your world and it does i've experienced that in myself i've had to learn to trust my own thoughts um because when i first started this business i'd go to conferences and i'd sit there my assumption was everyone in the room knew more than me uh-huh. And I'd sit there and I'd listen to them and I'd go, well, that doesn't make sense to me, but I'm sure there's a reason why they're talking about that. I must not just know that. And then I sit there and on day two or three, I go, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to give this a crack. And I'd, I'd make a comment and all of a sudden everyone goes, wow, that's amazing. And you go, hang on, that was just the tip of the iceberg. And you go, hang on, is that, I'm going to try this again. <laughs> I think this. And everyone goes, oh, amazing. <laughs> you know, and, and, um, and that's just a, you know, just a small, you know, joke, but... That's you. You need to trust what you think. You're, you're smart. Australia has a great education system. You know, learn to trust yourself. Ask the questions. Be be curious. And you know, you can create. What well, if ever? If if we've got all of this around us now, why can't you be the one who does Australia 2.0? Like the this the, the world's your limit you know well there is no limit i guess is the right way and and and, and it is a diverse array of things it's not just a, a uni degree that's going to get them mm. there in the future it's curiosity as you said it ask the question be confident put your hand up at a conference when you don't re- really want to mm. and and find out and listen to people so so tim you've done an amazing job what's chapter 2 of bench on 
Uh, yeah, so we've got actually a really big year this year. So um, we've developed a brand new product that um, from early next year is going to be sold globally through a software as a service platform. We're focusing on strengthening our markets here so that we can maximize full-time job creation here in Australia and become a bit of a counterbalance to the casualization of the workforce. Um, but these two new features we're in development right now are just going to completely change the way companies source their talent and manage their talent. So it's a really exciting time. We've got a, we've got a really busy 12 months ahead of us, uh, but it's all going to be worth it in the end, right? You're loving what you're doing? Yes. Yeah, I do. I mean, being a, being a startup owner is, is, uh, not what I thought. It's harder than most people think. You know, there's a lot of anxiety and pressure and hard work, harder than I would have worked in any job. But the the rewards are bigger. The impact's bigger. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. It is it's very hard. Um, this is my second startup and yeah. why I'm doing it again. Why am I doing it again? Because I love what I do. And yeah. I guess that's the message that if people can find love what they do. It's not like work, is it? No, that's right. That's right. So yeah. what sort of people would come to your business? What sort of people would come to bench on? As in it's work for us or, or clients? Clients. Yeah. So, um, Who's your call out to today? So it, it's any business. Okay. So um, like I said, we've got everyone from global corporate juggernauts right down to micro consulting companies of like two people. So you take um, on small business, as you said. Everyone. Everyone yeah. experiences peaks and troughs. But where are the pain points? You know, the pain points for corporates, big, big, massive companies are not necessarily staff underutilization. You know, they've got, they're so big they can move people around. They've got deep enough pockets that they can yeah. survive that. A small business having two people on the bench is enough to cripple the company. So we've created one easy-to-use dashboard to suit everyone. You know, you can do, you can manage both sides of that peaks and troughs from the one area. So, uh, and and to tell you the truth, um, we didn't think that this was going to be in so many industries. But the more companies that come to us, we realize this problem is enormous. You know, and so here's here's what I'll say: if you have employees and you've ever wondered how am I going to pay bills this week, or you know, if you've ever ever had to let go of a loyal employee because you didn't have enough work for them, get on Benchon. If you're a corporate that sources talent regularly and you want faster, efficient ways to find people and also to tap into this massive talent pool that you've never experienced before, then jump on bench. Yeah, great. Yeah. Well, what a good job. I must congratulate you and thank you very much for coming to speak to us and let's catch up again sometime soon. Love to. Thanks for having Thanks, me. Thanks, Tim. If you enjoyed this podcast and you would like us to appear in your feed, please hit the subscribe button and you're also welcome to leave us a review. For more information, visit careerdevelopmentcentre.com.au.